Why sit in traffic when you can ride transit? With improved service on the Metro and fare-free rides on Dash, traveling in and around the Capital Region has never been easier. Did you know that you can map your commute around the DMV using any mode of public transit? Yellow Line service is back on track in Alexandria with a new stop at the Potomac Yard VT Metro Rail Station. Getting around Northern Virginia has never been easier. Leave the car keys and stress at home and hop on a train, bus, or bike. Plan your trip at NovaRides.org. In today's episode, I'm joined by Elizabeth Kalper. Elizabeth brings an absolute wealth of experience from both the corporate world and the well-being world, which puts her in a very unique position to talk about today's topic. Elizabeth was previously the head of HR and global well-being for Tapestry, which is an American multinational luxury fashion holding company, um, including companies like Coach, which is based out of New York City. Now she's the founder of Ludo, which is a tech-based platform for diversity, inclusion, well-being and coaching in the workplace it's an absolutely incredible incredible platform and i know that you're going to see it inside a lot more companies over the next couple of years what i really loved about this episode was elizabeth talks a lot about how having different masculine and feminine energies are needed for different goals um, and points within your life and i really love that theme because it's something that a lot more people are talking about now Um, and just considering she's also a fantastic mum of three but she's also achieved what she has in the um, corporate and business world puts her in a very unique position to comment on that and that's a message that i think a lot more people need to hear about using those different energies kind of in different seasons of your life so elizabeth thank you so much for being here let's get into today's episode how have we ended up at this point elizabeth Thank you. Um, yeah, gosh, where to begin? I, If we go right back to the beginning, I came out of university not knowing what I wanted to do and started in recruitment. And the company I worked for ended up getting bought by a big American company and they put together a shared service HR function. And I ended up moving into a role in that team and found HR, which was my thing. And I loved it. And how we really get the best out of people and support the people in the business has become my career, I guess. Um, so 25 years in HR. Um, I've been lucky enough to work for LVMH, Harvey Nichols, Planet Organic. And my last corporate role was Tapestry, that owned Coach, Kate Spade and Stuart Wiseman. Um, so I've had a really brilliant career um, in HR. My last role at Tapestry, I was global head of wellbeing there on the global DEI committee and VP of HR across Europe. Yeah, wow, it's quite a quite a CV. <laughs> Thank you. And um, tell me a little bit about what kind of Ludo are doing currently. Tell me about that space and the work that you're up to. Sure. So I came out of corporate life three years ago, and I guess the culmination of everything I was doing at Tapestry in terms of heading up wellbeing and really looking at the intersection between wellbeing and inclusion. Plus, add in, I've got three kids. And so I've had my own experience of being, you know, full-time working and having children. I wanted to build a business that was going to truly drive a higher happiness index for employees, really deliver ROI on the bottom line in terms of how companies drive a strategy of wellbeing and inclusion. And that really was the vision for Ludo is create a company that's going to give a toolkit to employers and support employees in really having a much more authentic in wellbeing sense of who they are in the workplace. And in turn, that drives greater productivity and more success for businesses. Um, and so that's really what we do at Ludo. Yeah, it's an awesome platform. And I look forward to getting into that in a, in a little bit more detail because how you're, how you're doing that is, is really, really exciting. Thank you. Um, the reason we kind of love chatting with you and why I'm really excited to share your story is that balance between, as you just said, mum, three kids, uh, they seem awesome. <laughs> they're, they're sporty. They're doing their thing. Uh, you've had obviously your career success. Um, there was even obviously some own kind of health diagnosis going on with the PCOS. So there's a lot to juggle there. Um, and I think a lot of the time when you look on social media, you kind of see a lot of people in these opposing camps that like you should do one, not the other. One contradicts the other. You've successfully managed to balance both. And I'd just love to kind of get into that. So tell me a little bit about your own journey from the health standpoint and, and how you've managed to balance that with the career success. Yeah, wow. Um, It's been full on, (laughs) I would say. But in terms of the health aspect, um, yeah, I mean, I was diagnosed with PCOS when I was 20. Uh, My cycle was really erratic. I hadn't had proper periods. Um, And I remember saying to my mum at some point when I was at uni, I haven't had a period for over a year. She said, you need to get that checked. Um, And I did. And they said, you've got PCOS, but you don't have to worry about that until you 
want to have children and they stuck me on the pill. Anyway, I got married quite young and I then started trying for a baby at 24, 25. Nothing happened, nothing happened. Fast forward three cycles of IVF and I have two children who are, uh, well, they're now 20 and 18. So this is a very long time ago. Um, and I was in my 20s. So arguably, you know, I was more statistically likely to be successful um, through an IVF cycle. And so, you know, I, I'm grateful that it worked for me. But through all of that, you're right, you know, I was building my career. Um, I've always been massively career minded. I have been described as a bit of a workaholic, but I really like working. I really enjoy it. And so when I had my first two children, um, I really wanted to maintain my career and also set them a good example. I've got two daughters first and I have a son, but I wanted to, as a woman, inspire them as well to you know, to really send the message that you can have the career and be a mum. And I was going to say I wanted to inspire them. You can do it all. You can't. And I think that's one of the big things that is a message I want to get across to women everywhere, which is that you will drop the ball. Things will go wrong. This concept of having it all is nonsense. You will compromise everywhere all of the time. And I think my learning over the years was just knowing where to make the choices on what to compromise on. And when I didn't, I did drop the ball and things went wrong. Um, so the having it all thing is is a myth, <laughs> in my view. Okay. Is there any kind of guiding principles that, that you've learned in terms of that compromise and that, that juggle over the years that, that you could share that helped you with that decision making? Um, I think one of the biggies is that as a mother, I really wanted to be there for the kids on sports day, parents evening, you know, school plays. And I wasn't. And I made the commitment to the kids. And I remember talking to, you know, my ex-husband about this um, and saying, as long as one of us is there. And sometimes that was me. Sometimes it was him. Sometimes it was, you know, the au pair. Um, but as long as they can look out in the school play and somebody is sat in their audience and they're being supported, that's okay. Now, that's a compromise but I knew that if I tried to always be there I'd have to neglect the job um, and I couldn't do both and so that's just one example and then the other one on the work on the flip side of work is if there was a work event that did fall and it was let's say it was parents evening and there was a work drinks do I really need to be at that work drinks like asking yourself what's the purpose and does this really impact my career and what I'm doing in this job and just asking yourself that question can ground you into what really matters and where the priority needs to sit. Did that get easier to do as you kind of advanced further into your career or were you always able to kind of do that fairly early on? That's a great question. Definitely it's actually a bit both. I think the further on in your career sometimes when you're you know, at the board level, you need to be there sometimes because of the nature of that particular event or you might be speaking or anything like that, you've got to be there. Um, but also when you're more junior, I think you need to be there sometimes from a networking, career progression, be seen, you know, be ambitious. Um, this isn't unique to women. I think that men and women need to do it, but I actually think there's more pressure in many ways on women because there is this, you know, we have a lack of gender parity and there's a huge gender pay gap. And I think that imposter syndrome, we, knew, we know is men and women, but women worry more when they are not progressing up or are they showing up the right way? Or And there's research behind this that shows that that anxiety of not performing in the right way or thinking they're good enough or worthy to be there is more prevalent in feminine energy. I say that rather than female because... We all have both. Um, but I think it's just something to be mindful of. Let's say that. Yeah, I'd be interested to kind of know a little bit more about how those like studies are conducted and, and if you've got any thoughts on why, why that is. You know, why do females maybe not quite have that same level of, of confidence? Um, well, there's a really interesting stat that I, I, this might not be precisely the right number, but I'm going to go for it anyway, um, which is that if you look at a job description and a man sees he's got nearly you know, he's only got half of the qualities. He's like, I can do that. I've got those skills. I'm in. A woman needs to see nearly 100% to 
to be able, I think it's 90, this is the number I can't quite remember, 92, 95%, to be able to apply for that job. And that to me is the foundation of all of this, is that men are more inclined or with that masculine energy to pile in and go, I've got this, it's going to be fine. Whereas women and that feminine energy want to have more certainty of their skill set and want to be able to map their current experience into what they think they can achieve going forward. And you might argue that's around risk-taking or self-belief. I mean, you know, I, you know, I think there are many reasons why, depending on the personality, women are more um, uh, conservative in their approach. Yeah. So that kind of brings the question then of, okay, if maybe having more feminine energy is partly to do with why you wouldn't have that same level of confidence in terms of applying for the job, asking for the pay rise or whatever. Obviously, we're not saying having feminine energy is a bad thing. Of course not. And I actually loved how you explained that to me previously. How does someone balance that feminine and, and masculine energy then? And, and what are your definitions of, of those two, kind of two things firstly? Sure. And we all have both. That's the most important thing to know. And it's not gender specific. So you may have a somebody who identifies as a man that leads with their feminine energy or leads with their masculine and vice versa. Um, so this is not about gender. And it's really important that we say that. Um, so some of the uh, sort of key highlights of that masculine energy is typically uh, very direct, very do, do, do. So it's like get it done, you know, analytical, um, methodical, um, process orientated. Um, those are some of the kind of that drive and sort of um, punchiness is the word I want to use but that is a very typical masculine energy a typical feminine energy is more around be 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 versus do 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 you know and really being in that moment uh, much more uh, intuitive when a woman or a man can t tune into that uh, intuitive energy that's a feminine energy being used typically more empathetic and more uh, considerate, considerate in terms of how they consider those around them and feelings of others. And this is why it's really important when you think about the polarity of the male and female energy in the workplace, we need both. Mm -hmm. And also we can dial them up and down. So, you know, I can think about, I can speak absolutely from my own experience that there's times when I need to really get something done. I need to be punchy and direct. I've got to get a message across. And I will now, because I've learned and practiced this over years, is I'll tune up my masculine energy and I'll get my feist on, you know, and get it done. And then there are times when that more kind of considerate paced, be, observe, you know, experience what's happening before you make a decision. That's more about tuning up that feminine energy. And the two work beautifully together. And we all have both. But we all naturally lead with one or the other. Um, and I think just back to the previous point where we picked this up from is that if you think about the example of the CV in the job, that energy of how does that impact others? Will I be able to deliver? Will I have the right sense, you know, experience and skills? That's coming typically, I would say, from a feminine energy. Mm. So it sounds like that is something that is quite purposeful. Like you put some intent into like deciding almost how you're going to going to lead with that. Right? It doesn't sound like it's something that kind of just subconsciously happens for you. It's intuitively. It's, sorry, it's unconsciously. It is you. And you would, and I would have had no knowledge of this at all had I not begun to really look into it and study it and understand how the dynamics of people work together. But it's very much an unconscious thing. And we naturally, unconsciously lead with one or the other. And you, know, you will naturally have that. And it's you and it's just part of who you are. Um, but having awareness around it and knowing how you can tune it up and tune it down is then the conscious part on top of that unconscious process. And when you can start looking at whether you are more one or the other and how you use that, it's really powerful, really powerful. Mm. Are there kind of any like questions or scenarios you could give to help someone firstly decide what one they may be? naturally lead with a bit more if they're not sure um well yeah that'd be my first question yeah that. and there are online um like you know i feel like we're talking about cosmopolitan in the 80s here but you know <laughs> like an online questionnaire do this quiz. yeah it's like do this quiz um and there are certain if you google you know masculine feminine energy which is my dominant um there are uh, there's loads of stuff online and there's some people that speak a lot in this space um there's a guy called um 
uh, Jake Woodward on Instagram and another guy called, uh, I'm going to say his name, hopefully not wrong, but Stefanos Sefandos, who is also on Instagram. Um, he calls himself Steph. Uh, and there are some others out there um, that really talk about these two energies and understanding them in yourself. But yeah, a bit of Googling will get you what you want to find. Mm. I'm kind of thinking now along the lines of like, when you've when you've got this kind of career driven type woman and she's killing it, you know, in whatever industry it is, corporate world or not, probably training quite hard as well, maybe even doing some competitions as part of her training, whether that's high rocks like you've just signed up for or CrossFit or whatever. Would you say that that's someone then that's going to be a little bit more in their in their masculine energy? It's a good question. I think um I certainly think that when I go into a training session, I definitely would probably be tuning up my masculine energy more. Mm. Um, but equally, you know, that kind of sense of how I want to feel in my body as a woman, that's, that really is underlying a lot of the purpose of why I want to keep fit and look after my body and how I feel in me. Because I know, and this I'm only speaking for me, but I know that for me, I feel feminine, you know, I feel attractive in myself. I feel like I value who I am in my own body when I feel fit and healthy. And that adds into the food I put into my body, the, you know, making sure I get enough sleep. I fail at that regularly, incidentally. <laughs> but these are the, some of the objectives that I have in place to nurture, you know, that feminine body, that physical vessel that carries me around every day. So I think it, it's both. But if I'm really going for it with the weights, then yeah, I'm tuning up that. <laughs> yeah, I find this so interesting because, well, I mean, you know, you're a great example. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the third child wasn't IVF right yeah that's right that's why I have a huge gap so I have a 20 year old an 18 year old and a seven year old um so having been told I could never get pregnant naturally uh I had an incredibly happy accident at 40 um and I have a little boy yeah he's now seven and that I mean I don't know the exact statistics off the top of my head but 40 with PCOS already had two children can't be can't be a high probability right and what you, I think you said to me before was uncle on the lines of how maybe there was partly a shift and more of an understanding around that feminine energy and you were happy to maybe lean into it more because it wasn't like career driven push 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 and that for me was just so interesting to hear because obviously we know that your your perception and your identity can very much change your physiological state which is obviously crazy to comprehend mm-hmm. and that seems to be what's happened with you right so yeah I mean tell me a little bit more about that I massively believe in the mind-body connection and I think that, um, so I was married and I uh, got divorced when my children were four and nearly two um, and I really threw myself hard into my career and providing, which some of that was going through a divorce, some of it was because for me working makes me feel good and I think that helped me with going through a very traumatic time in my divorce um, and I certainly think that drove that male I can win, I can provide, I can achieve, you know, feist in me. Um, And then years later, um, I met my son's dad and I think, and I was earning, you know, decent salary then. I think the pressure was off somewhat in terms of survival instinct, let's call it that. Um, You know, I was in a really happy place. And so, um, and then when I found out I was pregnant, it was a monumental shock. I just thought, oh my gosh, so you... I don't know for sure, but you could say, well, my body kind of relaxed into its natural state of flow, albeit I still wasn't having regular periods. So it is a absolute miracle that I got pregnant. Um, yeah, a really big miracle. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I just find that that's so interesting. It would have been really interesting if you'd had kind of blood work done every year yeah. over that period and, and just have seen what those your kind of perception, identity, mm. work, stress, commitments, just see how all of that influenced it. Because yeah, it, it obviously made enough of a difference for ovulation to occur, which obviously mm. previously wasn't happening. If it was happening, then they wouldn't have told you, you know, can't get pregnant. Um, and something came back online at, at some point there and allowed that kind of process to happen again. Mm. Yeah, totally. that's just fascinating. But then we know that stress massively impacts our cycle, mm-hmm. you know, and, that, and the whole of your lifestyle, cortisol, stress, impact, all of that impacts the cycle. So, yeah, I wish, I wish I'd known in many ways that, um, you know, how that might have been changing for me. But I had no, my periods didn't start being regular. I had no obvious signs that there had been a change to how it was impacting my PCOS. Um, so, yeah, 
obviously ovulated and had sex on the right day. And yeah. there you go. <laughs> Small window, yeah. three, four days or so. It's not, it's not, yeah, not a large window. So exactly. yeah, crazy. So if you're listening to this, you'll probably fall into one of those two camps, right? You're probably maybe a lot of masculine energy, really pushing the corporate career forwards, quite stressed, maybe a bit burnt out, probably training lots. And maybe you've got some symptoms happening as a result of that, right? Potentially you've lost your cycle or you're just feeling rubbish all the time. Or the other way around, you might be a woman listening and you go, okay, I'm maybe a little bit more there for my feminine energy. I'm not pushing work forwards or I'm not, not, not working hard, but I'm not like advocating for myself. I'm not, you know, looking for that pay rise or whatever it might be. And, and maybe kind of a little bit afraid to find and use that voice. So if depending on what one of those two camps you're sitting in, we can kind of answer it either way around. What advice would you give to that woman in terms of, okay, we're leading a lot with this energy here. We're kind of stuck here. How do we develop that self-awareness to move into the opposite end of that spectrum sometimes? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And just to pick up on, um, you know, what you just said, the feminine energy isn't passive, you know, so you can be in that energy and still be very proactive, but knowing when to, I don't have to pick this word up today, the feist, add the feist, you know, into really pushing it to ask for the pay rise, you know, push for what you want in work. Don't be afraid to do that. But also don't be afraid to step back when you want to, whether at work or in your personal life, into being looked after and, you know, having that kind of feminine place where you look after yourself and you let yourself be looked after by a partner, family, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and not be afraid of one or the other because we all have both. Um, and I think that keeping that in mind is really helpful because if you are naturally strongly one or the other, the other one might appear uncomfortable to you and just try it out, you know. And also the feminine part is about self-nurturing and self-love and self-giving. And I think when you are in a um, in a really hardcore corporate job. I did this for years, hardcore corporate. I was traveling. I was on a plane. I was away from home. My life was nonstop. It was hectic. Um, and did I at that time gift myself time for yoga, meditation, you know, going for a walk, connecting back into nature? No, I was rubbish. Um, and, you know, I've reached near burnout by trying to really push myself. But when I started to notice the signs of I am breaking, I paid attention to that. And I think pay attention. You know, if your body is presenting signs to you that you're pushing it too hard, pay attention. And just as a woman, tune back into that self-nurturing love that you absolutely deserve. You know, self-love is the foundation of healing. And I think it's important to remember that and look after yourself why is it so hard for well i mean everyone really i guess but women in particular to kind of give themselves that permission to to do that oh my gosh if we talk about the workplace should we talk about <laughs> patriarchy i mean the workplace was designed for men you know, it's been a workplace where it was set up for men the whole ethos of how we go to work is really around a foundation of you know, hundreds of years ago, where a hundred years ago, the men were working and the women were providing at home and the workplace needs to shift exponentially. And in many ways, COVID's been a silver lining for that, you know, in terms of more flexible working to allow us all to work differently. Flexible working used to be a woman's problem. You know, it's not, it was like, oh, she's working flexibly. She's got kids, you know. It's about adapting the workplace for all, you know, men and women, parents, mums, dads, we're all there to be able to work more flexibly and create a workplace. And I think what's happened is that women have risen up and fought for their voice in the workplace to really push against the patriarchy and have that voice and have that sense of we're making our mark on the world. And actually, you know, they shouldn't have to be fighting so hard. We should be in a place where that equilibrium of gender parity is invited and accepted and the differences of those, you know, of gender, however you identify, is something that, you know, it should be welcome for all in the workplace so that we can all play our role and be in our best authentic self to succeed. Yeah. So if you, if you own a company doing essentially whatever, you've got an office yourself, it's got however many hundred or maybe even a thousand employees 
And we go, okay, the standard setup was kind of created, you know, by men for men, other than flexible working hours, which you just touched on. What other kind of changes would you make in that business if, if it was yours? That's a great question. Oh my gosh, if it was mine. Um, I think the flexible working piece, yes, absolutely. And you're right. That is a key foundation for how we work. Also, and this is a big part about the reason why we have the modules we have in Ludo, is recognising that we go through different stages in life. And um, a new term that's come into my vocabulary in the last couple of months is reproductive labour. You know, women, from the second they start their periods, begin what we're going to call now reproductive labour, where they have a cycle, they bleed every month, they're going through that process all to create the next generation. Then they go through the menopause where there's this whole shift of their hormonal level for them to get through then to the next stage of that, that journey of reproductive labor as a woman. And in many cultures, by the way, women who they have gone through the menopause are seen as the elders and the wise women. You know, we should adopt that culture so much more here in the UK. Um, so to create a workplace that recognizes that this is completely normal, no one's weird, you know, it's just this idea that, you know, if you were to say, I'm really sorry, I'm not going to be working today because I'm in terrible pain because I have endometriosis. Firstly, rarely would a woman ever say that sentence. Secondly, there'd be this like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she said that attitude in a workplace because it's seen as being a bit weird or a bit taboo. For some reason, women's reproductive health has got very taboo. If you said, I've got a kidney infection, I'm going to be off, I'm in terrible pain, nobody would care. So one of the big things I would bring into that workplace is this ability to allow people whatever they're going through whether it's their cycle the menopause maternity mental health men and women this is not just about women how do we create spaces for them in the office to take time out you know when I was at tapestry we put a well-being room into our office in London you know and I've been out of corporate life for three years so this was three years ago we put it in five years ago and I was so driven to put this well-being room in that could be used for somebody who wanted to meditate take time out you know do whatever they wanted to do I don't care if they sit in there and do absolutely nothing for 20 minutes but just have a space where if you're having a hot flush or you're having a panic attack or you're having a mental health moment you can go and sit and take that space and I was really excited about it really pushed for it we got it and it didn't get used very much. And it made me so sad. So I think being able to create spaces in companies and outwardly, overtly push permission for anyone to say what they're experiencing in their true authentic self and for us to accept it, for me, is huge. Lack of demand or scared to be seen using it? Scared to be seen using it. Just to play devil's advocate, 100% sure? Yeah, no, yeah, no absolutely. And I, yeah, people were just like, oh, it's fine. I'll go and sit in the loo. No, I don't want a mm. woman to be sat in the loo with the cubicle door shut if she's feeling overwhelmed and upset or she's in pain. You know, we want to be able to create an environment and a space where she can lie down. Or, yeah. you know, if you're, and again, not just women, if you are a man who's having an anxiety, you know, an anxiety attack or you're in a panic how do we create a safe space for you to go and sit to you know whether it's breath work or to be able to just sit and put some earphones in and listen to a guided you know, meditation how do we normalize this to allow everybody to get the self-care that they need because if you could even if you walked around the block for an hour or you walked outside and sat in the sun and came back in you are going to perform so much better that afternoon in the workplace than pushing through and breaking yourself. You are not focused if you're pushing through a mental health crisis moment. You're not, you know, and that mental health crisis could build and build and build and become something so much more. So acceptance in an office environment and in a workspace where we can all be who we truly authentic are, authentically are with total acceptance for me is like the dream. Yeah, I love that. I, the reason I ask is just because 
I've obviously never been in the corporate world. The closest I got was working for David Lloyd as opposed to being self-employed. Just got very lucky. It was the, the best coach, uh, the best set of coaches you could ever ask for in terms of the PTs I worked alongside. Um, and obviously, I think by definition, if you're a personal trainer, you're probably someone that understands health a little bit, <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. Um, you understand that full body connection and you, you're probably quite empathetic. So it's not something I've ever really experienced, which is why I asked. And then if you're saying like, yeah, people are literally doing that, but they're doing it in the toilet instead of using the room, mm. then obviously that that that's quite crazy. I was having a conversation the other day of actually one of the panellists from that Tuesday event that I, I, um, I saw you at. And obviously she's a lawyer and she's she was like, yeah, I've never once, you know, said period pain this cramp migraine that she was like and I never will she was like why would I risk my career like potentially progressing when I when we are allowed to take sick leave we just say it's for something else and obviously my initial reaction is well that's really sad and I said to her I was like do you ever think that would change and she was like no like no one individual is probably prepared to be the person that's taking that risk at the expense of their own career to be the person that's going to pioneer kind of pushing forward, I need the sick day and this is why. Mm. Um, and I just thought that was kind of really, that was really interesting. So obviously I love what you just said there, but it, at kind of that more junior level, when people are first starting into the corporate world, it doesn't seem like maybe people want to take that risk and, and be that person. No, I agree. And I think that's something down the line. What we need to tackle first is fertility. This is my biggie. <laughs> we just launched our fertility module last week in Ludo. Um, and this is my biggie for me. We've got... The rate of fertility is going up and up and 49% of fertility issues are related to men. So fertility is typically seen as a woman's issue, but it's pretty much half and half. Um, and fertility uh, treatment is growing, uh, partly women having children later. Um, you know, the, the family unit can be whatever you want it to be, which is a beautiful thing. But you could be two men requiring a surrogate or women requiring a sperm donor. Like that whole piece on fertility is huge. And yet the taboo around it in the workplace is horrible. So people go through fertility and they don't tell their employer that they're doing it. And I think if we tackle that, this is one of the biggies I think we need to tackle first is, you know, women particularly are fearful of saying, I'm going through IVF, um, even though the two weeks particularly before egg tra uh, embryo transfer is really full on in terms of hormones, feelings, emotions, and time in the IVF clinic. You're there pretty much every day in that last two weeks, first thing in the morning. Um, and women are lying, making up excuses, um, because they're scared that if they tell their employer, the employer's going to say, oh, they're going to have a baby. And they're going to be black marked or seen to be not passionate about their careers. Um, so I think we've got things like fertility to tackle first, before we get into women being more open about their cycle. Um, and I'm not saying one's more important than the other, but I just think this is a huge area that's massively impactful where women are being, there's bias towards women particularly when they're having babies. And we know it costs your career. The, the stats are there. We know that by having a baby, it impacts your salary, impacts your career progression. Um, you know, it's a huge burden on the career progression of women. And for me, that comes right from preconception. So we've got work to do in that space to make that more, um, uh, make it safer to be talked about in a work environment without impacting career. Mm. Where does, you know, the, the people at kind of that CEO level, where do they kind of like leading from the front fit into this picture? Because I saw a post the other day on LinkedIn from a founder that I follow of a company I really like. And he said something that was really interesting. And the first sentence was why I take four holidays a year. And I was like, oh, that's, well, firstly, not something you'd maybe expect. I was like, interesting, right? I, was like, I love the sound of four holidays a year. I don't do that. Let me read this post. And the main point he was making was that if I don't, then I'm essentially saying to my employees that they can't use all their holiday. So I make sure that I do, even though I don't want to, literally to set the example of the culture that I'm trying to create. And I was like, huh. What I really like about that post is that he told everybody about it. Because you could be taking four holidays a year, but not making a scene about it. I want him to make a scene about it. You know, I want him to say, I am taking four holidays a year. And you um, can too. And you can too. Um, I'm in my uh, last corporate role with my team, I used to have this thing of leave loudly if you're going to the gym or leaving early. So if you want to go to the gym at 10 a.m. rather than at 
because at lunch breaks everybody goes at, you know what we don't want to be in the gym when it's rammed right go at 10 a.m i don't care if you then eat lunch at your desk because you've taken your lunch hour at 10 i'm not bothered but you've got to leave loudly so you have to stand up and say i'm off to the gym so the whole team know that's happening that was our thing i like it and that's back to your point about the ceo which is that in terms of leading from the front, if you can do it and then talk about it, you begin to make it safe and normalised for everybody else. Um, and I remember speaking on a panel um, on mental health in the workplace uh, with this brilliant guy who worked for a leader who had had his own mental health. Um, he'd, ha- he'd had a breakdown, actually. And he encouraged him in their company town hall to stand up and tell his story. And this guy, it's not someone I know. I heard the story via somebody, via this chap who I spoke with. And the and the guy said, I'm nervous of doing that. He said, I'm sure you are. But the second you do, we give permission for everybody else to talk about their mental health. Anyway, this leader did it and it transformed how they supported mental health in the workplace. And they ran um, events. They had mindfulness training. They had different, um, uh, what's the word I call, different uh, solutions, different um uh, options that people could partake in to help with their mental health and they'd had very little uptake and then when this leader spoke they had loads of uptake because all of a sudden he gave permission for others to be struggling if that makes sense mm-hmm. and I think that's so powerful so leaders that can lead with vulnerability with that real heart-led leadership can give incredible power to other people to do the same yeah, and I'll, that must obviously be incredibly difficult to do. But if you are in that managerial level and you're like, okay, I want want to progress this business forward, it seems like it's a pretty essential piece of the puzzle. Yeah, totally. And also, I think that we have a stigma around mental health. It's got way better, but we do still have a stigma. You know, we all have mental health, whether it's good or bad. Whereas when you hear the words mental and health together, you think of something really terrible. So a leader that can say, I had a, I had a breakdown and now look, I'm doing this, sends a really good message that we all have highs and lows. It's human nature and you can break and come back from it. You can break and recover. You know, we all have really dark days. All of us do. I mean, God, I certainly have dark days, but it doesn't dictate the rest of my future. And that's really powerful for anyone to understand who maybe is going through their first deep mental health crisis and really struggling is there is help and you can recover and come out the other side yeah no I love that I think that leads us on nicely to asking a little bit about kind of how you balance your health recovery and obviously growing a startup which as I'm finding out is incredibly difficult and you know you're in your 40s you've done loads of amazing things you've got the aura ring on you've got the PCOS diagnosis you know you're training for high rocks like what what does this look like at the moment for you what what kind of tips can you give someone to yeah improve their health and balance that kind of recovery versus performance um yeah I mean wow I definitely in all vulnerability as we've just been talking about that have days when I think I cannot do this anymore um and I think one of the things I always remember in those moments is it's emotion, it's feelings in motion. It's not permanent. It doesn't stay. I have moments where I think I'm going to fully lose the plot and then come back from it. And then I have days when I'm on fire and everything's going well. Um, But in terms of how I cope with it, I train five times a week. Um, I you know, I do yoga once or twice a week. Um, and I am really disciplined about that. And when I let that drop off, I feel it in my body and my energy levels. Um, yes, I wear an aura ring. So I'm onto my stats all the time of my sleep stats, my HRV. I pay attention every morning when I get up, the first thing I look at is my sleep stats. It's a good indicator for me. Um, my HRV goes through the floor Um, it's not great at the moment when I'm under pressure. So keeping an eye on that and then not eating too late, you know, getting to bed at a sensible hour. Um, also have I overtrained? Sometimes if I'm really broken in my body, I think I've pushed it too hard. Tomorrow's a rest day. So also knowing when to stop and to give yourself back some, you know, rest time is really important. Um, and I meditate, um, that really helps me. And again, if that drops off, I feel it in myself. Um, 
And these things are much better proactively done than reactively. I'm a terrible person for, oh, I'm so stressed, I've got to meditate. It's like, no, 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 that's just, it's all going the wrong way. Um, so I think just being really disciplined with the foundation to then set you up for everything else. And believe me, I'm rubbish at this some weeks. This is what I aim to do. But actually, that's a really important point that when I am really rubbish at it and have a bad week or two, my natural instinct is to beat myself up and go, you're so rubbish. You didn't do that. You're being really shit. You know, it's not good enough. And actually catching myself in that and thinking, how is this possibly adding value yeah. to tell yourself off in your head? Like, this is ridiculous. Um, so catching how much you tell yourself off. Um, but in terms of juggling a startup, raising investment, kids, running a house, keeping fit, um, it's intense, um, which is why it's important to keep the foundations in place because, yeah, my stress levels are high, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, you reeled off a load of really great practical tips there. People, I think, often just don't associate things like breath work and meditation with kind of actually being that impactful, which is why I'm a big fan of the aura ring is a lot of people are not in, as intuitive as you, right? Um, they're not kind of in, you're going to be in you know, touch with how they feel and, and how but these things are benefiting them. So it's really great to have that actual solid data point that tells you, no, like your HRV is better. Like the breath work is paying off, the meditation is paying off and that helps obviously reinforce doing those behaviours. I think data is... I mean, I'm a data geek, actually. I never used to be. But since I've been wearing my aura ring, I'm a data geek. I wore an Apple Watch for about two years, and I've stopped wearing one about two years ago because I was trying to combine different bits of data. And actually, the Apple Watch would buzz at me when a text came in or would be, like, you know, sending me beeps of, you haven't done an FX exercise. And I just wanted to throw it across the room. I felt told off by it. Um, and so... I've got rid of it and I wear a normal watch now. And I actually think from a stress perspective, not if you wear an Apple watch, knock yourself out. It's a great product. But turning off every WhatsApp, I think it's actually good for your mental health mm -hmm. or other constant buzzing on your arm. It made me feel like, ah, you know, I'm not on top of things. Yeah. So I think um, data is helpful. Just don't go too neurotic about it. Or you can be wedded to the data and lose track of, how you feel yeah. in your body yeah which ultimately is what is what really matters but yeah the aura ring's definitely much better than the the apple watch in terms of accuracy as well so yeah why high rocks because i'm really interested to kind of hear your thoughts on that and the reason i ask that is it's very rare i'll try and push people towards goals it's not my place to do that high rocks is one of the few exceptions to that and um i you know i, I love it as something that people can work towards because unlike CrossFit, you know what the workout is going to be. It means you can train for it specifically. That really helps reduce the risk of injury and just lets you kind of be a bit more time effective with your training because you don't have to train for the possibility of everything, which makes it a great event for people to work towards. And I'd love more people to believe that it is something they could achieve as opposed to being like, oh no, that's too hard for me. Um, so I'd love to hear what made you sign up. That's a great question. I'm trying to think how High Rocks hit my radar. Who was that told me about High Rocks? Was it you? Did you tell Possibly. me about High Rocks? Could be you. Yeah. Um, uh, some, it hit my radar. I then started following High Rocks on Instagram. Um, and I thought, I've done all sorts of fitness challenges over the years. And I love training for, a, I like training for an end goal. It's just for me, that keeps me really focused. Um, and I've trained for, I've done a, a couple of big swims and I've done, um, I used to dragon boat quite a lot. And we did all sorts of things as a, bunch of girls all different things I've done but high rocks is not like anything I've done before and I thought this is going to be something different so that inspired me because it will shift me training my body in a different way um also I had a really nasty skiing accident at 18 and I've had seven operations on my right knee which is very boring um but it means that running like doing a marathon or doing a 10k run is for me it's just I can't run I can't I can run a a bit but if I run really hard and far my knee just swells up it's just one of those things of life so when I saw high rocks so you've got to run eight lots of one kilometer I'm like I reckon I can hack that because even though in between there's a strength training exercise I'm taking my pressure the pressure off my knee for x period of time and if it's 1k 1k space like that I believe I can train up to doing it so I've entered high rocks um, in November, but I've entered it initially in a team. So there's four of us doing it. 
Next year, I want to do it in a pair and then do it on my own before I'm 50. I'm 47. I've got three years, two and a half. Um, so that's the plan. But I thought I'd start in a relay just to get the vibe of the event and then know you know how when I train up I can do it and then I'll build up to doing it on my own that's the plan love that you heard it here we'll hold you accountable I know I can't believe I've just said that on here right before I'm 50 I'm doing high rocks on my own it's happening well uh, we'll, we'll put this clip in particular to one side and, and check in on that so no I love that hopefully that inspires some some more people to to consider signing up for high rocks here and that seven operations on the knee in your 40s still going for high rocks absolutely no excuse everyone should check it out I agree. Well, do you know what? When I had my um, however many operations, the surgeon said to me, you're going to need a new knee by the time you're 50. So I'm 50 in two and a half years and I do not need a new knee. And that is a prime example of somebody installing a limiting belief into your head. I was told that and I could have adopted that as a belief in my head that I'm going to need a new knee, but I've chosen not to take that belief on. Um, and by keeping fit and keeping strong, I'm ha- the knee is working fine. And so I'm going to just park that. I want to ring my surgeon, actually. Yep. He's, he's retired now, but I want to ring him and go, guess what? I did high rocks at 50. He'll be like, what? Yeah. Get the, uh, make sure you pay for the media package and you can send him some, send him some photos. Exactly. Uh, that's so cool. Well, yeah, we'll obviously see you there in November. So that's exciting. Um, tell me a little bit more about Ludo. What exactly is it that, that you kind of do? Um, and if people are interested in getting that involved in their business, where can they find out more about you? Yeah, of course. So we are a subscription uh, business for companies. So companies subscribe Um, for themselves and employees to gain access to our content and we have modules on maternity menopause uh, health including mental health fertility and parenting is launching in q3 um, of this year so what it is is once an employer has signed up employees have instant access to curated content around all of those areas so we help manage the whole maternity process by giving proper support and advice same with menopause etc um, and so there's support in there from being at work when you're pregnant, you know, nutrition support, fitness support during the whole process of maternity. And then things like sleep school and you know, choosing the right childcare, managing guilt. So we're really supporting that expecting family with the journey of the pregnancy, but also afterwards and how you can really help yourself through the journey of returning back into work and then managing that return back in. There's a stat that says you know, 90% of women get zero formal support during maternity. Not okay. You know, how do we make the whole maternity process a much better, more consistent um, experience? Because we know that your line manager dictates how lucky you might be, for example, in your maternity process. So that's just one example of maternity. And then, so that information is there available to employees at any time, which is what we want. We want them in that moment, if they're feeling anxious to be able to go onto the mental health module and get help in that moment with something that's going to help them in that second not let it build into something more and then we have a learning hub for HR leaders and line managers which has information on things like how to support an employee through maternity you know what does an excellent menopause policy look like how do we communicate that to our people how do we support in that area we have things in there like um how to how to uh, write a domestic violence policy mm. you know how why do ergs matter in the workplace employee representative groups from a dei perspective and how do you make them work for your business so it's the how and the why behind inclusion and well-being in the learning hub that helps hr and line managers managers really do their job well to drive a true culture embedded into that business to really have people feeling included and well and in turn they then perform better they stay longer they feel valued so it delivers the ROI to the business beyond the works being done yeah it's an incredible product isn't it and it sounds absolutely absolutely massive every time we speak about it I'm like sounds like there's more and more parts <laughs> to it which I hadn't previously heard and it's all um what's the word I'm looking for you, you know your, your manager doesn't know what you're looking at as the employee when you're yeah Exactly. And that's really important. Yeah, it's all confidential. We know that uh, you've logged on, but we don't know anything. As the employer, you know nothing about what that person's looked at. And that's really important. We have support on there for things like baby loss. You know, maybe you were pregnant and sadly you had a miscarriage. You never told your employer, but we want to give you resource to help you through that trauma that you've experienced. Um, And you don't have to tell your employer. 
Can you sign up to it B2C or is it just you have to sign up to it at a company level for a volume of people? Yeah, just B2B at the moment. So our clients are companies that, um, and then they, uh, yeah, of course, sign up for their, pe- for their employees to have access. What's the goal? How many companies are you, you getting it into this year? Oh, that's a good question. Now, we've got a target of 114 new businesses this year. So, yeah, we're uh, pushing half a new businesses. But it depends. Sometimes we get a, you know, bigger, smaller businesses. But in terms of numbers of businesses, yeah, I'm very open to talk to any size of business. Um, and anyone listening, if you're, you know, company, if you're not the HR decision maker, come to us anyway, because on your behalf, we sometimes do that. So we have employees that come to us saying, I want this in my business. And we can then make an introduction to the HR person, bring it to their attention um, and, yeah, really try and raise awareness of how they can help their people in that business. Yeah, I love that. And what would kind of that process look like? Because I believe you said to me before that you also help communicate this in a way that um, obviously shows an ROI to the, you know, the people at managerial level, right? So yeah. they can track that. Totally. And we help HR leaders know exactly how to have that conversation. And I think it's one of the challenging uh, parts for HR leaders is they know this is important. You know, there's no HR leader out there that doesn't believe in having a strong DEI strategy and a strong wellbeing strategy. But to demonstrate the ROI, to influence the budget and the spend around that, is sometimes something that some people find quite hard. And we help them have those conversations with the CFO from a budget perspective, but also help teach them how to measure the traction of the initiatives that they're putting in place and how Ludo supports in that. So you can then sit back in a year and say, this is how much money we've saved the company and this is why this matters. And that's really, really powerful. Yeah, it is. I think that's the biggest objection, isn't it? Is uh, It doesn't sound too tangible. What does this translate into? Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah, absolutely. And when we are talking to HR leaders and selling our tech, that's one of the biggest conversations we have is, this is how it's going to deliver for your business. Um, so yeah. But yeah, anyone who's interested, you know, it's we are we are ludo.com. Um, just go to the website and you can we can reach out to me, Elizabeth at weareludo.com. Um Elizabeth with a Z. I worked for a French company, so I always say that because it was spelt with an S by so many people back then. <laughs> okay, yeah, I didn't know that. That's they spelled it differently over there. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um are there any other events or anything else that you're doing coming up that you'd like to share? Um, I think just we have a We Are Ludo page on LinkedIn where we share um, if we do webinars or talks or and I do these Ludo lives where I do little mini interviews with lots of our experts on LinkedIn. I do one or two a week. They're all on the We Are Ludo page. Um, So that's a really good place to see what we're up to. And then our Instagram, We Are Ludo, we put information there too of um, any events and things we've got coming up. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, so go and check that out, everybody. And uh, thank you so much for for joining me today. I think the whole conversation around balancing those two things and that you can't have it all and you're going to have to compromise is is a really important message that people need to hear. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing that. And uh, we'll see you Tuesday at the the Femtech. uh, No, Monday. Monday? Monday. Yeah, we'll see you Monday at the Femtech Labs event. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me. Amazing.